0: Morning. The reading this morning is taken from the book of Colossians, chapter 1, starting at verse 15. And this is found on page 1182 of your church Bibles. Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God
1: Good morning everyone, my name's Phil, I'm the Associate Vicar at Christchurch and it's my delight to be uh, taking us through Colossians this morning and it's my uh, privilege and pleasure not to be having to project. So a massive thanks to the sound team, the, uh, the our large whizzy sound desk um, decided that um, it had had enough of life, uh, we all feel like that in January but um, it uh, decided to give up the ghost yesterday and uh, so we are very grateful to... to um, Ali and Eleanor in particular and Ben for getting here very early and um, rigging up something else in ways that are beyond the understanding of someone like me. Um, so instead of me shouting at you this morning, uh, I can speak normally and you can still hear me, which I at least think is a good thing. Uh, let, us, uh, let us pray and we'll get into Colossians together. Our Father God, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that, uh, as we heard last week, that you would help us to see Jesus as he truly is so that we might grasp that he is all we could ever want. Help us to find true satisfaction in him and in him alone. Amen. Now, I'm sure you caught from the reading that this is a thoroughly theological section. It is full of deep truths about... Jesus rather than insights into human life or advice on how you and I should live. And so you may wonder, what is, <laughs> what is the relevance to you and me in daily life? Yeah, fine if you're a theology student, but frankly, I'm living in the real world with real pressures, and I need real answers. What I need help with is the relationships I'm in, my career, the anxiety I'm struggling with. The anger I don't seem to be able to get, uh, keep a lid on my finances or lack of finances. Well, here is why this theological section is relevant to you and me, whether you've been a Christian for decades, or you've literally just started to look into the things of God. The Christian life is not a set of rules to obey, or a lifestyle you learn to follow. It is a person in whom you place all your trust, Jesus. Christianity doesn't teach you, look, here's the way to achieve inner peace and to overcome the worries that, well, all of us feel with what's going on in the world right now. Instead, it reveals Jesus who rules over the chaos and who cares and provides for us in it and says, trust me, Christianity doesn't teach you, look, here's how to deal with your sin when you feel overwhelmed with guilt and shame. This is what you need to do to make things right. Instead it reveals Jesus on the cross dying to pay for every one of our sins to give us forgiveness, redemption, cleansing and new life. And he says, trust in me. Christianity doesn't teach you how to get safely through death. Here is the mantra to chant. Here is what you must achieve to safely navigate death. Instead, it reveals Jesus Christ, his empty grave, and says, trust in the one, the only one who has died and risen to new life, never to die again. So if you want to be spiritually healthy and happy and useful, then nothing is as important as getting a clear, deep theological grasp of who Jesus is, what He's done, and what He will do. Uh, the, the great Puritan theologian John Owen uh, wrote these words in one of his greatest works, *The Glory of Christ*. Uh, it should appear up; on, it might appear up on the screen. Oh, it is wonderful! Um, it is by beholding the glory of Christ by faith that we are spiritually edified. And built up in this world for as we behold his glory, the life and power of faith grows stronger and stronger. It is by faith we grow to love Christ. Now hear this. So if we desire strong faith, powerful love, which give us rest, peace and satisfaction. And who doesn't want rest, peace and satisfaction? We must seek them by diligently beholding the glory of Christ by faith. It is... This duty I desire. In this duty I desire to live and to die. On Christ's glory I would fix all my thoughts and desires. So my prayer this morning was really that we would behold Christ more truly, that our lives would have a deeper trust and greater joy. Let's have a look. Uh, So as we um, as we heard last week, Paul is writing to a church in Turkey in the first century, a church that he's never met himself, but. a man called Epaphras who was from Colossae had heard the gospel while Paul was teaching in Ephesus and had taken it back and preached and a church had formed and Paul is now writing to them because the Christians there feel inadequate. People have come and they've tapped into something real and then given them a false answer. The, the real thing that's been tapped into as we'll see is that they feel a bit inadequate. So that they, they kind of feel a nagging longing for more. That's, I, I just don't feel fully satisfied. And the teachers who've come in have said, yeah, yeah, the reason for that is it's brilliant to trust in Jesus, absolutely brilliant, nothing more important. But once you've trusted in Jesus, now you need something more, uh, some teachings that I'm gonna introduce you to for the right price. They're, once you've trusted in Jesus, you now need something else. If you want true spiritual maturity, then you're going to miss out if all you do is trust in Jesus. And so Paul is writing to reassure them and to warn them. And in the first half, we saw of chapter one, he said, look, you are genuine Christians. You lack nothing. He said, you put your faith, do you remember, in the, in the genuine Jesus. Uh, you have faith, hope, and love, as we saw. And you have been rescued, verses verse 13 you have been rescued and brought into the kingdom of the son you're in god's people you lack nothing now he begins to show them look if you have this jesus which you do you have all you could need and far more than you could possibly imagine and the answer to that sense of inadequacy that that nagging sense that yeah i kind of feel like there should be something more is not to go for something other than jesus it's to go further into Jesus. He is, he is gold that you found on the ground. And having discovered it, the answer isn't to go searching somewhere else, it's to dig down deep. And you'll find that the gold keeps going down and gets richer and purer and more beautiful. And that's what he's trying to do in Colossians, to encourage us, you don't need something other than Jesus, you just need a whole lot more of Jesus. So if you've ever felt a nagging sense of spiritual longing, a a sense that you you long for a bit more, a deeper sense of the divine, more spiritual power, then Paul has written for you. Here we go, um, just a couple of points for you. Firstly, the sun is supreme over creation. He is its creator. Verse 15, the sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now I don't think when he says the Son is the image of the invisible God he's speaking about what happens when God the Son takes on flesh and becomes Jesus the man in history. I think he's talking about the Son's eternal status. The point is the Son is fully equally God with God the father. So if you think of God the father is like the sun you know that flaming ball in the sky that appears for a couple of days in June that thing yep yeah some of you remember the if God the Father is the Son, then Jesus is like the sun's rays, radiating out of his glorious presence. And it's no surprise then, that if the Son is like the, the, the rays of sunshine that come out of the Sun itself, it's no surprise that it should be God the Son who comes down to Earth and reveals God in human flesh to us, because eternally He's been radiating the glory of God the Father then it says he's firstborn over all creation now that sounds like he's the first thing that was created and an awful lot of false teachers in the past tried to teach that but the whole section affirms he is the creator not the creature in the Bible firstborn is not about being born first oddly Um, firstborn in, in ancient cultures is much more about right to rule so in one sense, your firstborn could be, uh, you could have 15 sons and then adopt a child who you give the right to rule after you, and that would be your firstborn. Uh, you see it most clearly, I think, in Psalm 89, No need to turn it up, but you can check it if you want to write it down. Psalm 89, This is a psalm all about God choosing David as king of Israel. Now, David was the youngest of all of Jesse's sons, But it says in verse 27 of Psalm 89, I will appoint him to be my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. Firstborn is about right to rule. The son is the firstborn, not just over the kings of the earth, but over all the cosmos, including you and me. Now the next statements, they flesh out and they prove that This son, Jesus, is the divine ruler of all. Look at verse 16 with me. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Now the point of verse 16 is that all the things that you and I look to and think have the power to Well, give us the things we long for. The power to determine how our lives go. All those things we look to, where he made them. So look to him, not them. We look to political powers, and we think they have the ultimate authority to determine how our lives go. They set our taxes, they determine whether we get into wars, all those things. But whether it's squabbling candidates for a presidency or autocratic rulers who scorn democracy and seem to know very little history, he made them. Economic powers, like the the great global tech corporations. Did you know Apple is now worth more than the GDP of all the 54 nations of the African Union combined? Incredible wealth. They really do seem to own the world. Uh, Think of raw natural forces like hurricanes or earthquakes, The volcanic explosions literally tearing the earth apart in Iceland at the moment. Shaking the world, literally. Dark spiritual powers that kind of fascinate us, but actually really intimidate us. Jesus made them all. Jesus rules them all because he made them all. Even things that are fallen and corrupted and evil are ruled by Jesus. Even the devil is on a leash held by him. In Luther's extraordinary phrase, he is God's devil. He's a fallen creature. God made everything. God the Son rules everything. And so verse 17 summarizes, He, that is Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. It is all made by him. Every atom that vibrates in this cosmos bears the maker's mark of the Son of God. And it all exists for him. It vibrates for his glory. He is the purpose and goal of everything. If it exists, it exists for him. And he is what holds it together. What do I mean by that? Well we're used to thinking some things are kind of permanent and solid and other things they require active involvement for them to keep going. So peace and harmony when my boys are playing it requires a degree of active involvement otherwise it evaporates quicker than a small puddle of water in Death Valley. i got to be actively involved or there is no peace. Our house on the other hand I don't think about it and it continues to be there i pay it no real attention and yet the structure of the house just it's solid and it stays there well the mind-boggling thought of verse 17 is that physical reality i tell you to poke or pinch the person next to you to just do it to yourself maybe feel the physical reality of your body or the building if you're sitting at one of the walls touch it the city skyscrapers the himalayan mountains all those things that we look to as, as, as solid and real and immovable, well, they only continue to exist moment by moment because the Sun wills that they will continue to exist. And if he stopped willing, then all the atoms in the universe would cease to exist. Nothing shows the supremacy, the godness, of God the Son, quite like creation. I mean, just just try to create something yourself from nothing, like the way he did. I mean, imagine a great British Bake Off. Uh, you know, as the as the series go on, they get they have to stretch a little bit harder to find, you know, ways to make it novel and keep up the viewership. So imagine they say, right, uh, challenge this week: make one cupcake. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> How hard is that? Yeah, yeah. You keep telling me you're, you're creative, create it. You've got no ingredients, create it. it be a pretty dull episode. I mean, <laughs> uh, there's, yeah. there's nothing. But Jesus, God the Son, he created the whole cosmos out of nothing. He's a creator. Wonderful, but uh, okay, so what? So what when you leave this building? I read uh, this brilliant book a year or two ago, um, Dispatches. It's an American journalist, Tim Kesey, who travels around the globe at areas where Christianity is persecuted or just breaking new ground. And in it, he is in some of the former Soviet republics at one point, and he interviews a guy, Pastor Gennady, who just sounds fantastic. He was, he's in a former Soviet republic, and he spent a lot of his life in prison, being pretty horribly treated. As, as a Christian pastor under communist regimes. And when uh, he visits Pastor Gennady, he's just going to see the, um, the local police chief to get, because he needs to get permission for his, um, his Christian activities and his church to continue. He's like, well, is he, a, you know, is, is he the sort of person who's amenable to, to these things? He said, oh, he was the prison commandant of the camp when <laughs> where I was interred with all the other um, Christians. Oh, y- but you seem cheerful and relaxed. Why, why are you so cheerful? He says, oh, it's all right. I've been over his head uh, to sort this out. Say, oh, okay, so you've, you, and it slowly dawns on him when Pastor Gennady says, it's all right, I've been over his head. And so he feels confident about going into this meeting. It's not because he's been to see the state governor in the capital. It's because he's been speaking to the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. He's been praying. Don't need to worry about him. I've been talking to the king of the universe. Nothing can stop this if God wants it to happen. I hope you realize that when you cry out to God the Son in prayer, you're going to the ultimate authority, the ultimate power, the God who can, the Creator. Secondly, the son is supreme over new creation, he is its beginning. So the son is supreme over creation, he's its creator. And secondly, the son is supreme over new creation, he is its beginning. So we join again in verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The son is the head over the new creation. Now the supremacy of the the son in the old creation is the pattern for his rule in the new creation. So as he rose from the dead with a new undying body, Jesus was beginning the new order. His resurrection body is the first act of the new creation. Day one of the new creation is Jesus rising from the grave. And the church, it's those who have joined him in this new creation. Now if you're familiar with the Bible, you may be aware that when the the New Testament writers describe Jesus' death and resurrection, they often reach back to the Old Testament for Exodus language. Do you remember the Exodus? So God's people who were being worked to death in an inescapable slavery to Pharaoh of Egypt and facing certain death under his tyrannical rule. And the Bible writers say, yeah, and that's a picture of what Jesus does on the cross. We are slaves to sin, facing eternal death under the judgment of God. And God in his kindness sends his son to rescue us from that slavery and to give us eternal life when we face death. But as well as a new exodus, the cross and resurrection of Jesus are a new genesis, a new creation. As Paul puts it in another of his letters in 2 Corinthians 5:17, "If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation." Now the Son of God was supreme over the old creation, as creator. He's supreme over the new creation as the prototype. So his resurrection body is what you and I will have when we enter the new creation a body that's suitable for an undying world that will never get tired or old or fall apart and he has the power to transform our frail mortal bodies so that they'll be like his glorious body as Philippians 3 puts it and so the son has supremacy in everything, verse 20 both the old creation and the new so if you like in Colossians, the world and all its people, we're pictured as this beautiful crystal orb, a great ball, uh, suspended from God. And when, we, when our, our forefathers sinned, when we sin against God, it's as if we have cut the cord and the orb fell and shattered into a million pieces, bringing untold misery and harm. Now, it would be a truly extraordinary thing if God were to to sweep away the detritus of that old ruined creation and make something better, something uncorruptible, something pure. But that's not what's being spoken about here. It's something far more glorious. Here, the creation is described as, verse 20, through him to reconcile to himself all things. So rather than sweeping the detritus of the shattered old creation and its wicked people into the bin and starting afresh, the Son of God came to reconcile and to restore. Not just to make new, but to make you and me new. To make a perfect world out of imperfect people. Now back to Great British Bake Off. Actually, what goes on here, it's more like um, someone says, Here's your, here's your new challenge this week, and they tip out the fetid contents of a three-week-old food bin from a hot August onto the table, flies buzzing around it, and someone's able to make out of that a beautiful, pure wedding cake. Jesus takes the, the raw material of selfish, ugly, fickle people like you and me And he makes us into something radiatingly beautiful and rich and glorious. It's just mind boggling when I recognize how rotten our hearts are so often and how deeply ingrained the self obsession and the pride and the prejudice and the pettiness is. The Son is supreme over the new creation, He is its beginning. Lastly, the Son has reconciled us through faith. The Son has reconciled us through faith. if you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. So the son is reconciling all things and you can be part of that reconciling work through faith in Jesus. So when the son of God came to the earth, He entered the brokenness of our world and he absorbed the misery and the sickness and the relational dysfunction and the wickedness, the perversion and the hatred. And he took it all upon himself at the cross. And Christ Jesus on the cross is the meeting point between the perfect, holy, righteous God and the sinful, wicked fall in humanity and they collide on the cross. And the Son of God dies, consumed by unbearable judgment. But with God's wrath absorbed, the way was opened for you and me back into God's presence. And the cross is the moment that God's cosmic reconciliation begins. As finally we can come back into the presence of God. And as we're restored to God, we are restored to ourselves and to one another. And we move from being part of the old, shattered, fallen creation. And we move to being part of the new, reconciled, restored creation. We move from being God's enemies to being his children. I look at verse 22. All the things that make us feel alienated from God are dealt with. So we feel unworthy and spiritually useless and he has made us holy, chosen and set apart to serve God. We feel filthy and morally stained and he has washed us clean without spot or blemish. None of the stench or dirt of our moral filth remains. Our consciences accuse us and remind us of things we've done that make us feel deep shame and guilt and fear we could never ever be welcomed by God. God the judge has seen Jesus take the punishment for every last sin. And so he declares us free from accusation, innocent and righteous. He has reconciled us to God. He's done it already. That is something you and I can enjoy today. And we can live in the security and freedom it brings tomorrow and forever. In Jesus... Everything is reconciled, but only in Jesus. And that's why Paul warns us in verse 23 to continue to trust in the gospel. Because only there do we find the message of Jesus' death and resurrection, which reconciles us. And because Jesus the Son has reconciled our relationship with God, it gives us hope for reconciliation in our other relationships as well. Now, I don't think any generation is as concerned and as aware about the divisions and inequalities and oppressive injustices we see as the current one. But one of the striking things is that, unlike, say, the civil rights movement in the 1960s, there seems little hope in the current movement against inequality and injustice. Modern movements call for protests against structural inequality and acknowledgement of systemic racism. But they seem devoid of answers of how things can change for the better. But in Colossians 1, there is hope for reconciliation. The very hope that led Martin Luther King to declare all those years ago, I have a dream. Without Christ's death, he would not have written those words. And I mean, if you think of the, the bitterest divisions of today over in the Middle East, the ones we're most aware of anyway, You can go to the Jerusalem Alliance Church. We've had the uh, the minister from there, Jack Sara, speak here and see Palestinians and Jews worshipping Jesus reconciled to God and so reconciled to one another. Colossians 1 lifts our eyes to show us hope of reconciliation for our world, our society and even our families the son who solved and healed the the unimaginable, unbridgeable gap between a holy God and utterly sin-soaked, hell-deserving people like us. He has the power to reconcile other relationships too. Now you get an idea of what Paul is trying to, to do in us in this passage when you look at the repeated word. I wonder if you picked it up on the reading. The word that was repeated most often. Now, it's mildly obscured in the English when you realize that in Greek, all, all things and everything are the same word. It kind of helps. Let me reread the passage. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. This is not the God of the gaps. This is the God who leaves no gaps at all. I mean, what can you lack if you have this Jesus? So I guess the question for you and me is, is my Jesus, when I think of Jesus, is he as big as the real Jesus, the Jesus of Colossians 1? A Jesus big enough to give us hope when we feel demoralized and outgunned by sinful desires or overwhelmed by anxiety and fear in troubling times are jesus big enough to protect us from god's wrathful judgment in spite of the things we know we've done are jesus big enough to give us confidence to speak about him in a hostile culture are jesus big enough to take away the fear of sickness and death If we see him as he is, we will see he is all that we need. So give him the worship, the obedience, the preeminence he deserves, not just in church, but in all of life. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you for this vision of the Lord Jesus Christ presented to us by Paul in Colossians 1. We thank you for a Jesus big enough to cope with our fears. And our hopes a big, are Jesus big enough to handle the mess of our world? Are Jesus big enough to give us eternal hope through his death on the cross and his resurrection? Fill our hearts, our minds, our imaginations with the awesome wonder of this Jesus, that we might trust him and live lives of freedom and joy. In his name we pray. Amen.